Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we are going to talk about seizing opportunity. Life rarely offers straight superhighways from one milestone to the next. More often, it's a meandering valley pass punctuated by steep climbs over mountain ranges. The journey our guest today has taken very much resembles the later. Today, we're joined by Adam Finkenhofer, General Manager of the 84 Lumber Component Facility in Oxford, Georgia. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me on board. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. You know, I think you're my second guest who is the son of a previous guest of this podcast. Uh, your dad, Jim Finkenhofer, is a past president of SBCA and someone I have known for a really long time and consider kind of an old friend. You know, that said, I, I think many times when uh, I talk to, you know, the sons or daughters of people who have been in the industry a long time, you know, the, the story is pretty similar in that they're like, yep, I had my diapers changed on a uh, trust table and I grew up sweeping floors and, you know, as soon as I could hold a broom kind of thing. But your path into the component manufacturing industry is not quite as straightforward, is it? Uh, yeah, mine was a little different. I definitely grew up around the trust plant, uh, but never working in the trust plant as a job, uh, you know, in middle school, high school, or even directly after college. So the path is certainly a little bit different than I took. Why was that? So when I was in high school, I was very heavily involved in baseball and travel baseball. So when, when most kids who are not involved in school activities were able to work, I was traveling around with the travel team, uh, playing on tournaments every weekend, practices after school. Uh, you know, there really was no off season for me. So didn't really have a chance to work at trust plant, so to speak. Now, I, I did spend a lot of time up here. It's actually kind of funny. In, in a supply closet that we have here on site, which is originally Trust Systems, there is a height chart on the door jam where my sister and I had our heights measured by dad growing up uh, since, he, since he and Richard built this facility. So it's kind of cool still to have that in the office, even though the Trust Systems name is not down at the end of the road. Yeah. But even after you finished school, it's like you didn't you didn't just jump into the trust industry either, right? Correct. So I, I went to the University of Alabama. So I've moved out of Georgia and over to Tuscaloosa for four years. And after college, I actually went to work uh, for Shaw Industries selling commercial flooring. And after about a year, year and a half, it just wasn't the right fit. Um, I went through the training program with with Shaw, you know, learning all the different aspects of that world and that industry. And it just wasn't a good fit for me. So in 2014, dad actually sold trust systems to Barry Dixon, uh, who has True House down in Jacksonville. And around early 2015, I was talking to my dad and just telling him, you know, I'm not happy where I was. It's just not the right fit. And he recommended that, you know, I reach out to Barry 
and see if Barry has any opportunities. So I did. And, you know, kind of the rest is, is history from there. I called Barry and he was looking for, uh, for help in the Atlanta market. And, you know, after a few short conversations, I eventually ended up agreeing to a position and coming on board with True House in Atlanta. Obviously, your dad has a deep passion for the industry. Did he ever like push you to join the industry or was it one of those where he just waited for it to come to you? Uh, he waited for it to come to me. I, I've never asked him if that was challenging for him or what he was ever thinking on the side, but he definitely never pushed for me to to follow in his footsteps. Um, he, he let me evolve as an adult, as a professional. And I guess you could say it, it's something that is genetic that ended up in the, in the industry. So do you and your dad just totally geek out on trust stuff now at family gatherings and every time you get together, is that all you talk about? So it's kind of funny. We actually have a unspoken rule between my dad and I, and I actually have a cousin in the industry as well, that when we're around other family members, we don't talk anything work related. And that was one, one stipulation that I had coming into the industry and working for Barry, working with dad. If I ever felt like I was losing my dad, I would quit on the spot. Did not want to run into that scenario. Now, if it's just he and I somewhere watching a ball game or just even riding in the car, yeah, we'll we'll talk about trusses, you know, the common people that we know, different stories, you know, bounce ideas off each other, that sort of thing. But if, if other family members are around, we we do not talk about about work. Suddenly it sounds a little like Fight Club. We do not talk about trusses. Pretty much. The number one rule of trusses is don't talk about trusses. <laughs> So I, I'm curious, uh, flooring, commercial flooring wasn't for you, but you've gotten into the trust industry and you, you've, it's stuck. I, I'm curious for you, what's different about the component manufacturing industry that's kept you in it? And what is it that fires you up every day, gets you out of bed and gets you excited about work? Uh, a couple of things do. For one, when I was working in commercial flooring, I, w- I was on the sales side of things. And while yes, you do work as a team, you're also out and about in a car every day by yourself uh, with these different customers. And there's not a ton of a team environment there. Working with 84 in the position that I'm in, I, I really enjoy working with the entire team that we have here, the entire team that we have built, uh, the team at our headquarters that help us with purchasing, HR, operations, I mean, pretty much you name it. But also the most intriguing thing to me day in and day out is what we do is not life and death, but what we do helps people achieve their dreams and their dreams of homeownership. Uh, we're, we're able to, to help in that process and to be able to build a solid quality product that will allow somebody to live in a home that's, you know, built structurally sound, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's just a good feeling to be able to help. I suppose it doesn't hurt that like every day there's a different challenge. There's something else to try to figure out, to overcome, and you get to, you get to rely on that team to help you out, right? Yes, yes. We we have a phenomenal team uh, at 84. You know, again, not just at the trust plant location, but 
across the board. And um, that's that's one thing that I really enjoy about the 84 atmosphere is it's very much team oriented. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. As you mentioned, your dad eventually sold the company to Barry uh, and then Barry ended up selling the company to 84 Lumber. You know, I've personally been to that plant, I think twice, once back all the way back in 2005 uh, when your dad and Richard Brown were still running it. Um, and again, somewhere around 2018, I think Barry had already entered the picture at that point, at that point. I'm curious, uh, since you went through that transition, what, what would you say are the big changes operating under the 84 lumber umbrella? Cause I mean, you're still at the same facility, still the same physical space, many of the same employees, mm-hmm. but what, what's, what's different? The biggest difference is that we have been able to incorporate under 84 is I would say the equipment, um, 84 came in and completely replaced everything that was here, uh, whether it needed to be replaced or not. Um, so 84 was definitely willing to invest the capital needed to help the facility grow. Um, and they didn't just replace equipment. We also added equipment that allowed us for, uh, more production, more capacity. So. The biggest things I would say is that the capital improvement, but also with the company of our size, there's a lot more resources that, and, and we have, you know, more buying power, things of that nature. Well, and, and your model of going to market changed a little bit too. I, I imagine 84 had, has a slightly different approach than how you sold in the past, right? Right. So when, when we were trust systems, a, a large percentage of our sales were what we called a two-step process. Uh, we had a very good relationship with a local lumber yard that did not have a, a trust plant. So we were able to work as a unofficial partnership going to market. So that's you know, where we lost a little bit of margin, but at the same time, trust systems didn't really employ those salesmen that had boots on the ground, uh, going, knocking on doors, so to speak. So we, we had a two-step model, uh, when we were trust systems and then coming to 84, we have a very much a direct uh, customer model where we sell direct to the customers via the salesman. Um, so there are salesmen with boots on the ground out there running, churning and going, but every location invoices separately. So it's not like we're getting POs from a, a certain lumber yard and then the lumber yard is selling all the materials. Uh, we're, we're very much a direct to, direct to customer model. Hmm. Just from your personal standpoint, how do you feel about that? Is that easier? Is that more difficult? I'm a little bit of a control freak, so I, I find that more comfortable for our situations. Uh, it gives us the ability to manage the whole process a little bit better that way, but the biggest opportunity there is we get to form our own relationships with the customer. It helps, in my opinion, the customer being able to have somebody that they can call direct that has the answers they're looking for. You know, our, our salesmen sell so many different types of products that they may not always know the answer of if there's an issue with a trust system or if there's, you know, it, an issue with pricing or a question with pricing or anything like that. So the customer being able to come directly to the source uh, 
has definitely helped us grow relationships inside the market. Well, talking about that, it's, you know, we're rapidly approaching the end of 2022. Looking ahead at your market and your customer base, uh, what do you see are going to be your biggest challenges heading into 2023? I think the challenges that we're going to face are going to be very similar, if not the exact same challenges that everybody else in the market faces that as we start to slow down and starts aren't as popular and People aren't drinking from a fire hydrant any longer that we're having to go back and really evaluate, remember how to sell, remember all the all the minute details that we really didn't have to think about the last two years just because business was so so much in abundance. So diving down and becoming salesmen again and, and being able to show our story, our processes, um, our strengths and why our products are the products that they want to buy, uh, why our pricing is the way it is. You know, what, why do you want to buy from me? And that's going to be our biggest challenge, but it's also what I would say even better would be a, that's our biggest opportunity um, to go back out into the market and solidify these relationships and build new relationships, uh, not out of necessity, but now we actually have time to. And that's, that's going to be the biggest uh, opportunity for us. It just makes me think of, I've, I've used this term quite a bit when talking about 2023. It's, it's, um, it's not like people are going to stop putting their foot on the gas pedal. It's just not going to be buried to the floor like it has been for the last 18 months. And I like what you said there about you have time to reevaluate and actually think about how are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You know, is this customer a good customer, a winner or not? <laughs> not drinking from the uh, the fire hydrant. That seems like a very good thing from a lot of perspectives. I guess it's just one of those where managing, um, you know, the the throughput that you need to maintain, right? Right, it, and I think a lot of people um, would agree. And I've had this conversation with several different people throughout the industry that 2023 will be a a beautiful opportunity for you know, CMs to basically hit the reset button. Um, like you had said, the people aren't taking their foot off the gas. They're just not pressing it down as hard as they once were, which that gives everybody the opportunity to catch their breath, reset, and get in a good position to attack, you know, when the market is hot again, or even as we continue to go after new customers and battle each other for these new customers. But having a, a bit of a slowdown in 2023, while it is not ideal, it's very much a huge opportunity for everybody to get their ducks in a row and, and to optimize their operations and make them as efficient as possible. Is it fair to say 2023 may be the year of uh, differentiation? I would say that's fair to say. Yes. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I greatly appreciate you having me, Sean. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SBCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. On our next podcast, Adam and I will explore 84 Lumber's approach to maximizing equipment output. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com. <laughs>